Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Johnny, and welcome to episode 19 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here today with Stephen King from yes. Holland. What's up, buddy? Uh, nothing much. I'm just enjoying this podcast here with you. So, <laughs> Very cool. So uh, we're out here in Chiang Mai, and uh, Stefan does some copywriting. Uh, how did you get started with that? Well, it was uh, three years ago. I um, uh, was tired of uh, the corporate grind, as most people are. So uh, then uh, I decided to strike out on my own, and I, I had some. Uh, I've heard. I had heard people say that I was a good writer, and I wanted to have some more independence and freedom. So I decided to become a copywriter. That's cool. And your clients are where are they normally from? What countries? And my most of my clients come from the United States or Australia, and uh, some of them are also based in Singapore. Okay, I think it's really cool that. You know, you own a copywriting company and you have clients, and English isn't even your first language, right? Yeah, I'm uh, proud of the fact that I'm, uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at uh, at English, and it, it's in, in general in the Netherlands, uh, English education is pretty uh, pretty advanced, and I just uh, watched a lot of uh, uh, TV shows, American TV shows, when I was growing up as a small child, and play a lot of video games, and that's how <laughs> I. That's how I got uh, got familiar with English uh, from a very young age. Yeah, I've, I've met a lot of Dutch people while traveling, and all of them speak perfect English. And I think a, a big part of it is your movies in Holland, the, all the American movies, they're not dubbed. They, they just have subtitles, right? Yes, yes. And I think that's the number one thing. Because most people nowadays, they learn English through watching TV and through movies. And any country that doesn't have uh, dubbed movies automatically the whole population just speaks english and the countries that have that double and at first it sounds stupid like have you ever tried watching a movie that's you know supposed to be in one language and they lip sync it in another it, it's not even enjoyable yeah you cannot uh, you cannot really go back to that if you're used to uh, to having the original soundtrack on then uh, yes it sounds much more real that way and yeah, even for languages i don't understand like I really liked watching Cantonese movies, like these uh, old Cantonese gangster movies from Hong Kong. And even though I couldn't understand it, you know, I would just read the English subtitles and I would enjoy the movie. And now I can go to a, like a, I can go to Hong Kong and probably order food and swear at people and I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of extra advantages to uh, to uh, authentic entertainment there. Yeah. All right, so what is copywriting for people that that listen to this that aren't really that sure? Well, it's uh, like this: if you have a sales message. Like you have, a, you have a business and you have a product or a service to offer. And uh, you have your marketing figured out. You know who your customers are. And at that point, you still have to uh, give them the optimal message. Given what you sell and given a, a target audience, there is a best way of you communicating to them through your website, on your blog, uh, your business card, your tagline, your headline, like all that stuff, that's copywriting. Okay, so kind of just put you on the spot. So let's say we're sitting out here in the garden and we're staring at some patio furniture, right? So let's say I have a patio furniture company in the U.S. I have a website. What would a bad what would a bad example of copywriting be? Mm, 
like so let's say i just had the, the accountant i said okay hey can you can you write something <laughs> what would be terrible yes the well what would be terrible is to say that uh, uh, these uh, these are quality chairs and we've been making chairs for a hundred years if that's the first thing you say then uh, that doesn't really help me much mm -hmm. uh, because it doesn't tell me as a customer why I should buy that chair okay. it doesn't it, it doesn't really uh, it's not the first thing I'm worried about it can help later on you can mention somewhere that you're 100 years old and that you have really high quality stuff but yeah, that's not what I care about when I buy a chair. And that is a very common mistake to make. You know, that's interesting because as a the owner of this patio chair company, I'm very proud that, you know, this has been in my family for 100 years and we make the best quality. So it's interesting that, you know, from a, like a sales point of view, maybe the customer doesn't actually care about that right away. I mean, you know, they probably want to know that eventually, as you just mentioned, you know, they want to know it's a good company, but that's not what they're looking for when they want to buy. What, so what, what would they want to look for in the beginning? Well, it's uh, uh, in general, if you sell something, you uh, are looking for a benefit. Uh, usually a copywriter would split up a product or yeah, any offer, like a product or service up in a, a benefit and a feature. And I personally also interject uh, advantages in between there. And yeah, the benefit of sitting in a chair uh, is yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is, is comfort okay. uh, as opposed to standing up or lying down. Uh, it is uh, like still comfortable and practical at the same time. So that is the benefit of having a chair. And then you, uh, you start uh, in the language you use to sell it, you start highlighting that fact. Okay. So for like, let's say for patio furniture, for, for a chair, patio chair, uh, if I said something like, this is the most comfortable chair in the world because um, our 90 degree angle design, is that good or bad? Mm, mm, that's not good. Okay. Like, uh, because the 90, de 90 degree angle design is a feature and it's not, it's something that you can mention, but it's still not something that, that I'm really paying for. It's um, uh, you should you should start talking about the feeling that you get when you are in a chair. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and if you're talking about patio furniture and it's outside, then an additional benefit could be that it's resistant to bad weather, mm. right? And that's the first uh, thing that, or the second thing that people are worried about. So uh, yeah, you would. I mean, you cannot just really do it on the fly if you. Uh, it, but if you start selling patio furniture, then you would start with. Uh, comfort and and the weather thing that is that is something that you um, uh, so it doesn't wear out that's a benefit and the feature would be like it's has a super great uh, uh, lacquer or something like it's treated in a way that it lasts a long time and then the sales message is all about promising the benefit and then you start in the copy describing how uh, the features relate to the benefit and yeah. once people understand that they will buy. That really makes sense. I mean, as you know, as somebody that's always heard about features versus benefits, and had a you know a somewhat of an idea of what uh, a sales page or copywriting should be, this is actually the first time I've really thought about it from that point of view. Because you know, I've always been in the like my business more on the e-commerce side. We have, we have the products, and I have a list of features. And it's very easy for me when I'm thinking about manufacturing the perfect product to think, okay, I want to have, you know, three, you know, three-dimensional, uh, you know, triple lacquer stain, right? And to me, I know what that means. 
You know, to me, that means, yes. you know, this is the best weatherproofing in the world. It's not going to, you know, it can go through snow and, and rain. Uh, but to the customer, they might not know what the heck, you know, Rhino Skin technology is. They want to know what the actual benefit, like, why do I need Rhino Skin technology? Uh, and in, in this case, it's because, you know, I, you know, I could, the benefit could be uh, leave your chairs outside and not worry about it uh, getting damaged in the rain. Yes. Yes. So I like that. Okay. Cool. So, uh, how do how do your customers find you? Uh, I know you mentioned something uh, earlier, like when you first got started, and you you know you knew you had the skill, you're good at writing. How did you get your first customers? Yeah. When I when I was uh, starting out, I was working on Odesk and Elance. Uh, it's a very common uh, uh, common way to get in touch with uh, freelancers if you uh, if you are looking for uh, both as as a freelance worker and of course if you're an entrepreneur and you want to have uh, a lot of choice and options of various uh, types of uh, freelancers then uh, you go to Odesk or Elance. That's where I started. Yeah, so I just hired my first employees uh, off of Odesk. Uh, so I have one person picking up my my phone calls, and recently I just hired some people to transcribe this podcast. And it's it's easy to go through Odesk. I mean, like literally, I'll put up a an ad, and I said, uh, looking for someone to transcribe my podcast. And the description, all I put was, uh, looking for someone to transcribe my podcast. Travel like a boss podcast com. And within an hour, I got 28 people applying for this job and I could look at their not only their resume but they're also um, the reviews of employee employees that hired them uh, how much they got paid for all those jobs where they're from you know basically all these cool things so out of those 28 people that apply how do you differentiate yourself how do you get um, you know the the person posting the job to choose you mm, well at first it was um, uh, I always seemed to only get uh, the job if I really had an edge and that was in my case I had an IT background mm -hmm. uh, and that is uh, was yeah, quite advanced uh, and then when it was an IT company and they needed something technical they were selling something technical they uh, would very much uh, like to have somebody who immediately understands it that they don't have to explain uh, too much to and uh, is also uh, appears to be a competent writer and when when i was applying for jobs for it companies i would uh, have a high chance of being hired oh cool so you worked in it back in the netherlands right yes so for the people listening that have no idea where the netherlands are <laughs> what, what country is that <laughs> well it's uh, it's a country in northwest europe uh, it's a pretty small uh, uh, in terms of size it's like i don't know what state you can compare it to in the United States, but it's really a small country, and uh, but it has uh, yeah 17 million inhabitants, so it's pretty crowded, and yeah the weather is bad, that's why I'm here in Thailand, <laughs> and but apart from that you know architecture, culture, it's uh, it's all very uh, pleasant and comfortable, so. So it's Amsterdam. I mean, for, for people that still haven't figured it out, <laughs> Netherlands is basically Amsterdam, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, from an international perspective, uh, it's uh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So this is gonna be a, a trivia question for everyone listening. What the difference between Holland and the, the Netherlands are? Well, the Netherlands is the official name of the country, and it's usually uh, referred to as Holland internationally because, uh, it, like, one of the provinces 
is called actually the real actual official name of one of the provinces is Holland and that's the the province where the seaport used to be at or still is of course but when uh, when the country was growing and was really uh, famous and internationally influential at that point all the ships the international ships would of course mostly only see the province Holland so that's how it became known internationally as Holland Bam, that's cool. So the Travel Like a Boss podcast has now become the History Like a Boss podcast. <laughs> yeah. I like it. All right. Yeah. So right now in Holland, what is the weather like? If you're just going to guess. Ooh. Uh, I, I really would have to guess. Yeah, it's definitely somewhere around freezing temperature. <laughs> so if, 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 you, um, if you're lucky, it's uh, maybe, maybe like three... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I cannot do Fahrenheit, but uh, like minus Celsius. minus three degrees Celsius is uh, basically just where you get snow and, and ice going. And if you're lucky, it's that, and it can be nice. Uh, uh, it can be nice out, clear day. If you're unlucky, then it's just above that. And if it starts raining, you have this icy rain coming down on you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and you know, so a lot of people here in Chiang Mai have been complaining about how cold it's been the last couple of weeks. Uh, how did you feel about that? Yeah, well, so I, I've been living here for three years, so I felt actually like a native in a sense that I felt, uh, yeah, I was I was very, very cold. Uh, I was not used to it anymore. And another problem really is here that you don't have heating mm-hmm. because you don't really need it. And then when, when the cold hits and it gets like around maybe five, seven, six degrees at night Celsius, then then you really w- want to have uh, an extra blanket. Or well, a lot of people don't even have blankets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do have a blanket actually, but it's not. it was not enough. I had to wear actual, like I had to wear, put on extra clothes while okay. I was sleeping. So if you <laughs> had complained uh, on your Facebook or to your friends and family that are in Holland saying it's seven degrees plus Celsius <laughs> right now, I'm so cold, <laughs> what would they say? Yeah, they would say that I'm spoiled, and uh, uh, they would they would pretend to be outraged by my uh, by my complaining. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, now it's actually pretty sunny. I mean, I don't know what it is right now, but we're today was the first day I was able to ride my motorbike in the morning uh, with with just a t-shirt, uh, and yeah. it's it's nice that it's sunny again. Uh, and ha- have you been down to the islands at all? Uh, yes, I I last year in spring I took a took a holiday and I, I visited uh, Koh Kut, which is a small island uh, south of Koh Chang, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's where I spent a week. Nice. What was yeah. that like? Yeah, it was a very pleasant place. Like all the all the tropical uh, stereotypes, you know, about the palm trees and the blue sea and uh, a nice breeze and coconuts. That's all exactly there, and it's a bit more quiet than the the very touristy places. Very cool. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go to the most touristy island in the world, um, flying out tomorrow, and I'm going to go for the full moon party. Ah, <laughs> so you go to Copenhagen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to be uh, have a lot of fun, I guess. Yeah. The full moon parties are famous. So I have a buddy that's uh, coming out just for a few days, and he asked me to meet him down there. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, the nice thing is there's no direct flight yet, but... Flying from Chiang Mai to Bangkok only takes an hour, and now with uh, through a the ferry company called Lampaya, what they do is they basically transfer everything for you. So I actually don't know what my flights are, where I'm landing, but all I know is booking through them. 
I'm flying from Chiang Mai Airport, which is five minutes from here, uh, and somehow they transfer me on a couple planes and onto a ferry, and I end up at Copenhagen uh, within a few hours. So it should be pretty easy. Uh, I'll listen to a couple podcasts on the plane and boat ride. Um, and the, the islands, I mean, if anyone hasn't heard of the Full Moon Party, it is one of the craziest parties in the world. <laughs> I remember as a kid uh, reading an article in Maxim magazine, which is a men's magazine in the U.S., kind of like, you know, health, like men's fitness or men's health. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that this is the, the, the craziest party on the planet. And what it is, is an entire island where nobody really goes to during, uh, during the weeks or the months. And the only time it's ever really populated is uh, during the one week of the full moon. Other than that, there's a couple like yoga retreats or detox retreats or like some, you know, really nice, kind of quiet, relaxing places. But other than that, it's just empty. Like nobody goes to this island. And every month, uh, a few days before the full moon, like 20,000 people go there just to party. Yes. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like uh, going to... Uh, I, I know Holland's supposed to be really famous for, especially Amsterdam, really famous for their festivals and their parties. Yes, it's uh, not actually only in Amsterdam. Of course, there's where it's the biggest, but uh, uh, there are also uh, in other larger cities uh, many annual, big annual dance festivals that uh, lots of people go to. Yes, and uh, with famous DJs and yeah, party drugs. And yeah, you know, I, I've actually so I haven't. You know, I don't do drugs. Um, I don't smoke weed or I don't even drink alcohol. But when I the next time I go to Holland, if I ever go there, I'm gonna do so much MDMA. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> easy to get. So yeah. and it's super cheap there, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can very. Uh, I don't know what the prices are nowadays, but uh, it's uh, it's it will not break the bank. Yeah, because I I like I almost feel like if there's anywhere in the world I want to do ecstasy, it's gonna be Holland. And, yes. Yeah. You know, I just imagine these huge like crazy warehouse parties it's probably the equivalent at least in my mind i haven't been yet but from what i've heard uh for the djs and the and the vibe and the scene it's like what the raving era was like in america back then in the 90s and it's still going on yeah that's a good comparison yes yeah everyone's like super friendly um the ecstasy is actually legitimate it's not a cut with a bunch of crap you know, it's like good quality, <laughs> good quality music, good quality friends and fun. Yeah, yeah, it's very, uh, very well known for that, and uh, attracts a lot of tourists for that reason. Exactly. Also. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And you know, Dutch girls are beautiful. Yeah, they are. Yeah, nice blonde hair, and they're tall. <laughs> yeah, and they don't complain that much. <laughs> they're very nice. Like I, I, I like I traveled with a couple of Dutch girls, mm-hmm. and I would say the number one quality that all of them had they're all very easygoing and they're very friendly, uh, and they're just nice people and they're funny. Like I don't think they even try to be funny. <laughs> I think they just they just happen. You know they don't realize they're funny. They just are. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. nice. Okay. So I guess see you guys out in uh, in Amsterdam uh, at one of these parties. <laughs> yeah. I'll be the guy with the huge uh, U.S. flag. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I like uh, there's a a big festival called uh, Tomorrow is it Tomorrow World or Tomorrowland mm. in Belgium. Have you heard of this? Tomorrowland. This sounds familiar, but I'm I don't know the details. It's supposed to be this huge party in uh, in Belgium every year that I think it's like I would I want to guess two hundred thousand people and they sell out tickets within like three hours every year. Uh, so you have people sleeping in front of the of the booth or something? No, no, it's just online. Ah, and, cause, yes. and the reason I know about this is uh, some people from 
I thought we were in Europe. They said they were trying to get tickets. So they were online exactly at 12 o'clock when the tickets were to be sold. And there's seven of them at seven different, you know, internet cafes, seven different houses mm-hmm. trying to buy tickets. None of them got it. Yeah. <laughs> and within, like, I, I don't know, it might have been within three minutes, they sold out 200,000 tickets. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting uh, challenge then as a as a website owner to uh, to <laughs> to keep it going that way. Yeah, yeah it's insane. Yeah. Um, so the cool thing about the full moon party is it's a lot easier to get. You don't need tickets. You kind of just show up. Uh, I didn't know anything about it the first time I went. I in my mind I was thinking of this small tropical island with no hotels or no infrastructure. Uh, and like, where do you sleep? Do you just sleep on the beach or you know or what is it? But you know, now that it's 2014, it's pretty built up. You have, on the beach itself, you have maybe six big resorts. They're quite expensive uh, for this beachfront hotel rooms. Probably at least uh, $100 a night, maybe well, maybe $150 a night to mm-hmm. be around the beach. How many how many days will you be there? I'm going to be there for four nights. Ah, yes. And the yeah. trick to it, if anyone's ever thinking about going, is the actual night of the full moon party uh, is not that fun. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is it's way too crowded. Sometimes there's... 30,000 people and when you have that many uh, you're afraid to lose your friends you know you're afraid to really just have fun but the nights that are leading up to it are the exact same party same DJ same beach everything and because it's smaller like there's maybe 5,000 people uh, and everyone's really excited because they just got there and they're waiting for the party uh, everyone just you know are really friendly wanting to meet people and you know just want to have fun Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the the big trick. Uh, and like I would I would even say if you wanted to skip the actual night of the full moon and only go the three nights before, you'll you'll have just as much fun if not more. Ah, that's uh, party hacking. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it'd probably be cheaper too. Yeah, uh, but there are hotels. I mean, it's it's always a gamble if you just show up and look for a place. But even on the busiest months, which are December, January, February, uh, they you could just show up three days before and you could find something somewhere because uh, a lot of the, the smaller hotels still don't have websites ah yeah that's a common uh, thing here eh? yeah they don't uh, yeah so it's that's what I find in general that if you you don't have to always go to uh, uh, to the big websites you know not always uh, go there you can you can take a risk it's, yeah. you will land on your feet yeah I mean even here in Chiang Mai people always freak out about trying to find um, you know their their monthly accommodations while they're back in Europe or back in the U.S. and they complain that it's they can't find anywhere that's not booked up and it's because on, the only ten places that have websites they get you know all the traffic. Yes, and they are very overpriced. They know that 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 they are uh, that they have some sort of monopoly, right? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, of course they can afford to do internet marketing and they they can afford to hire to execute on that. And if you just get here and you get a bike and you drive around for half an hour you can find places that are way cheaper yeah that's because these are big big uh, hotels with the websites they're paying guys like you (laughs) to write the sales copy yes yeah and do the the content marketing and everything (laughs) yes and they buy advertisements and uh, yeah sure that's uh, ultimately the guest is paying for that stuff yeah that makes sense can I ask you what do you pay for your apartment here per month Ooh, well I'm a really lucky guy like I have a really good apartment and I pay only uh, about four and a half thousand okay for everything included so uh, that's euro, euro. <laughs> no that's baht thai baht so in terms of euro that would be about 125 euros which is probably like 160 dollars us yeah yeah something like that and then i'm all my my living ex- uh, 
my my cost of of you know rent, electricity, and water and internet is all you know. Imagine that. Can can you go anywhere in the United States or Europe to get an apartment that has has a view on the mountain on the fourth floor, uh, has uh, two separate rooms? So I have I, it's a, like a not big, but I have I actually have a little bit of a kitchen. I have a I have a balcony. I ha I have a bedroom and and a couch and a TV. Like very basic, but it doesn't really cost anything at all. And I don't need more because it's just me. It's just one guy. So and all the random girls you have over. <laughs> of course, of course, it's a very big and comfortable bed. <laughs> yes. So it's actually a one bedroom apartment. It's a separate room. Yes, it's a separate, and that is in Chiang Mai kind of a luxury. Most people end up with a with a studio apartment that doesn't have a door in between the the two places, and so you have just one place. And I think personally that it's less comfortable to be in because you cannot separate the place where you sleep from all the rest of your life. That's so. really cool, man. I haven't heard of anyone having a separate one bedroom for that cheap. Yes. It's usually from the ones I've seen. Uh, usually it starts at 10,000 baht, which is about $300 a month, which still isn't expensive, mm -hmm. but I've never heard of a separate room for, for less than 5,000. Yes, and that's why I feel so lucky. Also, with a good view and the balcony and everything. And how did you find this one? Well, it's just uh, because I was here for a while, I could afford to... Uh, at first, I had a different apartment. I okay. paid 8,000 baht, which is about two, uh, two uh, 200 euros or $300. Mm -hmm. And then I ho that was a studio apartment, and I had a swimming pool. Oh, nice. So, uh, but I didn't use the swimming pool that much, and I wanted to live somewhere close in town. Mm -hmm. And I just asked around. I asked. Uh, I have some Thai friends, and I asked them. So, have, do you have any advice? Do you, where do, where would you recommend I go? And mm -hmm. uh, my friend took me uh, to uh, to that place. Okay, cool. And what what part of town are you in? Uh, it's called uh, Chiang Puak. And uh, if you know Chiang Mai a bit, it has this big uh, square-shaped moat. And in the north of that moat is the area uh, called Chiang Puak. And I live basically a few, like half a kilometer up north. And then there's a bus station, and that's where I live. Okay. It's, yeah, it's I know not, exactly it, where that it's is. Not, it's not a good area in terms of nightlife or restaurants or anything like that. But it is close to uh, most important places. And because nothing or there's not much there, that is why it's so cheap. Okay. So if you guys want to find a really good deal at an apartment, stay here for a while, make some Thai friends, and they can bring you to some nice places for super cheap. I, I think that's a recommendation, yeah? Yes, exactly, yes. I think that if you, every time I've ever spoken to a Thai person and I tell them what I pay for rent, they always mm -hmm. look at me like I'm getting ripped off, because I, we probably are. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's because you're using, you have these prices, these Western prices in your mind to compare. And you should, uh, of course, it takes more time to, to get rid of that because you have to look at more stuff and live here for a while. But once you get used to Thai prices, then you, you become you know, more demanding of what you get for your, for your, for your money. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, is yours like a condo or is it, I mean, do they, do they come clean the room ever? Uh, it's it's somewhere in between. Like it's not meant to be that way. Mm -hmm. uh, half the people that uh, live in my apartment building are are Thai, and they they don't view it as a service department. But in practice, I can just ask the janitor, "Can you please clean my room?" And here's 200 baht and plus tip, and then then he cleans my room. So it's a very flexible arrangement. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I've actually recommended that to a friend. She she lives in a more of a Thai style condo similar to yours. She pays a lot more because she's a bit closer to to the city. And 
her biggest complaint was that you know nobody cleans the room ever, and she has to go out and buy a bucket and a mop and all this stuff. And I just told her I was like, why don't and you just? And she has to clean herself, yeah, which clean is herself. also very uncomfortable. Yeah, and. <laughs> I was like, why don't you just give someone two on your bot, which is like $6, and just ask them to clean your room. And there's, yeah, I would say almost every single place will be like, yeah, no problem. Because they need to clean it when people move out anyways. So they have staff to clean it. Uh, and they're happy to take, you know, your your $7. Because to them, you know, for an hour of work, that's actually a really good rate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm really lazy. Um, people ask me why I don't uh, find a, a better place or a cheaper place. And it's because I don't want, I have no idea where I'm going to be next month. I'm one, like the, the 99% chance I'm going to be here in Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no reason for me to leave. Uh, but I just kind of like having the freedom of not signing any contracts, not uh, owning my own bed sheets. <laughs> yes. You know, and not owning anything. And I, I'll basically, I just still live out of a backpack, even though I've been in Chiang Mai off and on for over a year. And I could easily have just rented out a condo you know, a one-bedroom condo f- for the same price with a nice, um, a nice big place. Uh, but instead, I just choose to live in a hotel. <laughs> yeah, if you can afford it, then uh, you you can you know, you can do that. Well, last year, uh, exactly a year ago when I was here, I could not afford it. I was living in a place that was even cheaper than yours. It was three thousand five hundred baht a month, which is one hundred dollars <laughs> US. Yes. And it was a super Thai-style place uh, that didn't even have a TV, didn't even have a fridge. It was basically just a room. And I've seen I've seen those. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I found it by just walking around. So what I my trick is, I'll park my my motorbike in the area that I want to be. In that case, it was the CrossFit gym because I knew that was my priority at the time. And I just start walking. And yeah, I just, that's also in Chiang Phraya, right? Yeah, it's also in Chiang Phraya. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I walk around in like a expanding square pattern, <laughs> and. I figure if I can walk to the place I'm going to spend most of my time, it's a good location. Um, and th- the place I went into had no sign. It was it has a sign, but it's only in Thai. So there's no mm-hmm. English name. Um, nobody spoke any English. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was really it was really difficult. I had to bring like a little... Uh, I don't have any Thai friends here, really. So I had like a little translation guide. And I was just trying to figure out how much it was per month. And when they said it was... I think it was 3,400 baht or something. And I... It's, and the room was clean and it was okay location. I was like, okay, I'll take it. And I, so I lived there for about six months um, while I was kind of bootstrapping the business. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, how did you, how did you move from Holland here to Chiang Mai? Mm, you mean, what, what was the decision? Like I took a plane. That's how I moved here. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, can you, can you? Yeah. Yeah. Like what was the de- your decision? Like what made you move out here and what did you you know, how did you, like, basically, how can you afford to, to, to live here? Uh, how do you get your income, too? Yes, um, so it's, uh, uh, I did it like this. After I uh, decided I was no longer going to be a corporate IT consultant, I just uh, went to a temp agency, and I got a very simple call center job, and I went, worked part-time, and all the rest of the time I was just doing copywriting like crazy, like getting better at it, studying it, uh, getting new clients, getting better clients, building, building, building. Like it was yeah, pretty rough time in terms of uh, uh, workload. But uh, that built me up to a point where I could easily leave the temp agency. And at that point I was uh, suddenly 
I realized like, okay, I have now this new career that is way better than what I used to have uh, in terms of uh, flexibility. And I could just finally go do the four-hour workweek thing because I now had location independence and I had read the four-hour workweek uh, in when it came out originally. And that's why I decided that uh, I should go to, uh, to Southeast Asia because that's what everybody does. So uh, that's what I had to do too. And I just <laughs> pi randomly picked uh, Thailand you know, over Vietnam or Bali or whatever. And that's how I did it. I booked my ticket, I sold my stuff and uh, uh, I flew here. That's a pretty cool story. It's actually, it's pretty similar to mine as well. And I would say <clears throat> there's tons of people that I meet here that follow the same path. They read the four hour work week and they're like, I don't want to spend another winter at home. I don't want to work at this, uh, this corporate job that I hate anymore. Let me just figure out something, some way where I can make money online and move out here. Uh, that's why I really like the service-based businesses is because even, even though that's not the path I took, I took the longest possible path. You know, I moved out here with just my savings and I just tried to figure it out. Uh, I had no... That is, that is risky, yeah? Yeah, it was, yes. it was definitely a huge risk. And my only goal was I figured I sold my car and I had about $10,000 from that. And I was doing the calculation thinking, okay, that should last me at least five months. Uh, ended up lasting me three years. <laughs> First, because I would <clears throat> live as cheap as possible, and second, I would do things like teach scuba diving uh, or. <clears throat> you already knew how to. Uh... No, didn't even know how to. <laughs> <clears throat> ah, that's cool. Yeah, it's <clears throat> well, to actually teach the scuba diving is um is really expensive, and uh, it's I wouldn't recommend it. But there's something called a dive master, which is really easy to get. And it's really cheap. So for about $1,000, you can go from never been scuba diving before to being a dive master, which is someone, it's like a tour guide where you only take people who already know how to dive, already have the license, and you just uh, guide them around. It's almost like a hiking guide. You mm -hmm. show them some, some fish because you, you, know, you train to know where the, where the fish hide. Uh, you make sure you keep track of the time so they come back at a certain time. Make sure they don't get lost. Uh, it's, a, it's relatively a very easy job, and the reason why I did it is because it allows you to go scuba diving every day for free. Yes, yes. You know? I, I can imagine that after a few weeks you would get bored of it. You do get bored of it after a while, um, and that's why I kept moving around. I started in Phuket. Uh, I did my open water there, which is like the beginner's course. Then I went to Kotal, uh, and I did uh, my all the other licenses, like uh, the, something called advanced um, and then the rescue diving and then the dive master and I worked there for a while then I moved to Colanta, which is better diving uh, I actually I ended up moving around a lot <laughs> um, but that was a few years of my life and I didn't actually start making money online until this year oh yeah until I think it was last January exactly one year ago I made you know I mean I made I would say a hundred bucks online somewhere you know filling out surveys or <laughs> something stupid but I, I never actually made like a real income until one year ago yes yeah well that's impressive if you uh, if you start out here and then uh, just go go to uh, in such a short time huh? yeah, yeah you know at the same time it's kind of like when you're here and you have no responsibilities and you have all these people around you that are making money online it, it makes it really easy yeah, that's. I agree with that. Once you uh, once you meet people that have, uh, first of all, the similar idea of uh, not doing what everybody else does, mm -hmm. you know, not doing the nine to five, and then meeting people that actually can be successful that way, not just getting by, but just 
get ahead that way, then then uh, you start thinking like they do. Well, that's why I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because, I mean, you basically did what people, you know, consider is impossible, you know? Mm-hmm. You you started with a new business that, you know, you weren't... It's not something that you went to school for. It's not something that you even really had experience in. You had a whole different industry before, and you decided, you know what, let me do some copywriting, and you just went on Odesk. You know, you started working, you know, at a low rate probably. Yes, right? yes. Uh, in the beginning, you kind of have to do that. You kind of have to do the work and build yourself up. Um, actually, I have, a, I have an example of a friend, Marion. She does the uh, the intro to this podcast. So she started just a few months ago too to do to be a voiceover artist. Yes, I know her. You know, yes. yeah, really yeah. nice girl from France. <clears throat> and she bought a microphone, uh, set up a little cardboard booth in her hotel room to as a recording studio, and. She was trying to get clients, and I had suggested to her that she goes on Fiverr. And at first, she was reluctant because she's like, you know, <clears throat> the I can't live off of that. You know, it's only five dollars mm-hmm. per gig, um, and you know, as she's like a good, you know, she has good skill as well. And I, I said, you know what, just just try it in the meantime. You know, if if people like you, you're gonna get more business and referrals from other places. And if anything, it's a good place just to get demos because she was making uh, her first website and she needed some, you know, some demo material. Yes. And yeah. so she went on Fiverr, five bucks per gig, you know, for like a short voiceover. Um, and from there, she started getting, you know, first a lot of content uh, and referrals. And now she gets direct traffic that pays a lot more. Yeah. So is that pretty similar to what you do on Odesk? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, very simple. Uh, the concept is the same that you uh, you have this paradox that you you have nothing, but to get clients you need to have something. Like why would a client hire you if you don't have a portfolio? Yeah. Because that is as your portfolio gets better and you have more stuff to show for, you can charge more because they're taking less of a risk by hiring you. And uh, yeah, that is then there has to be this little first thing, this first sacrifice you have to make in terms of uh, yeah, you have to do something for free to get that portfolio item or for a very low price or you have to be lucky. But anything like once you get in there, it, you get start building momentum and uh, that way you can build it out into something that it can be as big as you want. Yeah, that definitely makes sense because I think now what she has is she has some reoccurring clients that do kind of bigger bigger projects. Like I know, I think it's uh, one of the airlines, uh, they hired her to do a lot of the voiceovers for like their announcements and their radio stuff. So now she's doing well and beca- and, and it's really because she just said, you know what, let me just get some work, you know, if, no, matter, no matter how little it pays and let me show to the world um, my talents. And it's also practice as well, right? Yes, yes. You you build a routine. Yeah, so uh, Odesk, there's freelancer.com, there is uh, Fiverr.com. Uh, guru. Guru.com? Okay. Yes, that's also uh, like similar to Elance and Odesk. So what I would suggest to people, if you're looking for the safest, kind of fastest way to start making money online, is go to any of these sites, take a look to see what people other people are doing already, and ask yourself, is this something that I would enjoy doing? Is this something that I would be good at doing? Because not everyone's going to be good at uh, writing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or programming or, programming, or design yeah. or voiceover. Yeah, there's, there's a few categories of, of work uh, that you can do. And there's always one that, that sort of fits your uh, f- sort of fits your skill set. Mm-hmm. And you just get started with that and you learn as you go. Yeah. And in the beginning, you're still trading time for money. You know, you're still working an hourly rate. But instead of you working for some company, you're working for yourself. 
you know? So you st- in the beginning, you might st- you know, start at $8 an hour, which isn't a lot of money. That's what you would get paid you know, in the U.S. working at McDonald's, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can make that and you know, for yourself while building a skill set, building a, a reputation, building your own portfolio, I mean, you can actually you can live in Chiang Mai making 8 bucks an hour. Mm, well, just barely. You would have to work a little bit too much, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and it's in the sense of like it's not the best. Um, yeah. Okay. It's it's debatable. <laughs> I would say move to Chiang Mai after you make a little bit more than that. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. But if yeah. you have some savings. Yeah. If you have savings, you can uh, of course you have way more wee- leeway. But uh, then uh, yeah, you have to be sure that you uh, you are on an upward trajectory. Uh-huh. And once you are there and uh, it's getting better and better. You're getting more into your new position, mm-hmm. your new role. Then you, uh, uh, then you can move to a place like Chiang Mai. And Chiang Mai is actually first choice for many people to uh, to do that kind of thing. Because it's super cheap to live here. There's other people you can meet. Uh, I just did the math. If you if you bill eight dollars an hour and you work thirty hours a week uh, times four weeks in a month, you can make nine hundred sixty dollars a month. Yes, and there's only one little thing okay. that you have to take into consideration that at the, at the beginning, if you go to these websites, uh, you will spend a lot of time doing acquisition uh-huh. uh, or like depending on how good you are, like in case of Marion, she, she, she solved the acquisition problem pretty quickly. So this would apply to her. Yes. But for copywriting or, or programming or design on Odesk, you will probably, especially in the beginning, spend about 50% of your time doing acquisition. So applying for jobs and getting rejected, like okay. that is, takes a lot of time. So then I would say that just double that figure and say that as soon as you make sixteen dollars uh, per hour, mm-hmm. uh, which can be fast if you uh, if you already have something to go for. I I, I reached that point pretty fast. So okay. and uh, then you can move. Yeah. yeah. So your recommendation is uh, don't quit your day job. Do this on the side until you. You know, until you get some customers and you're able to charge $16 an hour and have people actually pay for it, uh, then at that point, you know, you're pretty, you know, you're pretty okay. Because then you can come here and just work even 20 hours a week and you'll still make more than enough money to live in Chiang Mai. Yes. And I would say make sure that you also have a savings, some savings. So don't quit your job when you have the reset of about $16 per hour point and have some savings because uh, you could hit a rough patch. Uh, where depending on the kind of work you do, like uh, in the case of Marion, she she doesn't have that problem. But if you are a programmer and um, uh, your uh, suddenly your technology that you specialize in uh, goes out of style, and suddenly everybody wants to have the programmers from the new generation, or you are unlucky with um, uh, uh, with your copywriting clients, or your niche dries up, like anything could happen that would. Uh, make it harder for you to get new clients and in that case you need more savings and i'm saying that because i wish i had saved more before i came here right because i had some pretty stressful times when uh, that happened to me when it suddenly started to get uh, more difficult uh, to get new clients and at that point i had to borrow money i had to call my parents and say sorry you know this is going really well this thailand thing except right now i need a thousand euros (laughs) (laughs) so and you don't want to really be in that position if you can avoid it yeah that makes sense i actually almost had to call my sister uh to borrow money last (laughs) last january no i think it was last december it's the month before that i was really thinking uh i actually talked to my cousin and said hey uh if I need to borrow money next month, would you be able to loan me a thousand dollars? And he said, "Yeah, no problem. Just let me know like a few weeks in advance." And then I thought about it. I was like, "What the hell am I doing? I don't want to borrow money from anyone." I'll, 
But what that did was that, that lit a fire under my butt and it said, mm. I need to make money, do something now. Yes. And it forced me to really focus um, on, you know, on what can convert into actual, into actual money and also work hard. I mean, I was here literally from the morning until midnight, you know, at the office, just working every day and during that first two months trying to figure out, hey, how can I, uh, how can I make this successful? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. So if you would have, uh, uh, that, that sort of illustrates that you should have more room than you initially would think uh, to be sure that you are successful. But at the same time, don't let that stop you from coming out because I know for a lot of people, it's never going to be the perfect time uh, or the perfect amount of savings to come out. I would actually suggest people just get the bare minimum. I mean, if you have, if you can afford the plane ticket and you have $2,000 in your bank, just come mm-hmm. out because that can last you three months if you if you do it correct if you if you live really cheaply on the budget yes. <clears throat> that can last you three months and in three months you can you can make a thousand bucks a month online if you're focusing and doing a service-based business I mean there's really no reason why it's gonna take you more than three months to to start getting enough gigs on Odesk uh, or Fiverr to yes. support you yeah yeah so I see you can uh, in my case uh, I did it exactly like that. I, I had I had about four four thousand euros when I got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, uh, like I, at that time, I was charging twenty five dollars per hour, mm-hmm. and it was it took about one week to get a new job. So I knew that if I sit down behind my desk and I spend twenty hours searching for a new job on Odesk or Elance, then after one week I will have a job that pays uh, $25 uh, per hour and is about um, the size of 10 to 20 hours uh, of work. So uh-huh. I, I sort of had this figured out. And yeah, that's that's the point at which you can move to Chiang Mai or Ho Chi Minh City or anything. Okay. Yeah. So this is a great way <coughs> to get started, but it's not a like lifelong plan, right? <coughs> no. <laughs> what would the next step be? Once let's say you, you do this for a year, you're happy, you're working a lot, but you can live here and you can enjoy life, what would the next step be? Well, that's uh, uh, something that uh, you, you, you have basically two choices. You can keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, and many people, they, are, they, they are self-identify as a minimalist and they, they, want, they don't want more than that. They want to enjoy their hobbies. They want to enjoy their, their life. And uh, it might be, yeah, especially if you're in early 20s or something, that's a big temptation. And you can give in to that. But if you, if you want to achieve more, like if that's important to you, then especially when you're a little bit older, then you need to ask yourself like, okay, I need to be bigger than, than just this lifestyle designer dude that's fun for a few years and then, or one year, two years. And then you decide, okay, now I'm gonna get big. And so, so you made that decision pretty recently, right? Yes, I, I for for two two years, two and a half years, I was uh, just doing that that enjoying the thing. I went to the gym, I studied Thai, I hang out with my friends, I get drunk, and, <laughs> and that's that's uh, that's good. And then uh, I decided, okay, now it's time to get serious. I quit drinking. I uh, 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 started working on my strategy. I just knew that uh, I could do better than I was doing, and I was aware of the fact that I was trading my time for money, which is a big limitation, uh, unless you make uh, a very, very high hourly rate. <laughs> but still, you want to be able to scale up, and I was all aware of this. And and then I decided, okay, now I'm going to be serious, and I'm going to uh, set up a different kind of business besides the copywriting or build the copywriting out into an agency 
and uh, yeah, that's uh, when I started working more hours and uh, trying to make it happen. And I'm now busy doing that. Yeah, well, it's a new year, so and you have uh, new goals, so it's going to be really good to to follow up with you uh, six months or a year from now and see where you're at. Yeah, sure, that'd be yeah. cool. All right, guys, so. Um, Thank you for listening to this uh, week's episode. Uh, if they want to get in touch with you, what is your website or your Twitter? Yeah, you can uh, get in touch with me uh, by going to my website. It's uh, www.vividwebcopy.com. Vivid Webcopy. So you can also go to Twitter. And my Twitter ID is stefantking.com. Okay. Uh, .com. Just, <laughs> just, yeah. just at Stefan T. King. Uh, yeah. Or just go to travellikeabosspodcast.com episode 19 under the show notes we'll have links uh to stefan's um website and his twitter and everything that we talked about on here including some photos from the the full moon party uh Mm -hmm. it's gonna be epic it's gonna be really fun if you guys my goal is i'm gonna start putting stickers everywhere uh down on the island (laughs) so if you guys want to see some stickers on uh some uh some nice dutch girls i guess (laughs) well yeah they should be there yeah, because right now it's so cold in Europe that everybody wants to come down and get a suntan. Mm-hmm. So, like, the ch- come check out the photos. Uh, like Travel Like a Boss podcast on Facebook. Uh, and, yeah, just check it out. And see you guys next week. Good luck to everyone out there. And uh, thanks for having me on the show, Stefan. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, How to Choose the Perfect Niche episode, Join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.